thanks for listening to this sermon from Cedar Springs Church. We know life is busy and it's easy to get caught up running in so many directions. At Cedar Springs, we see you and we're with you. We also understand the feeling inside of you for something deeper. In fact, we believe God created us for those deeper things and we want to help you discover them. We want to introduce you to a life lived deeply with God and with others. If you're not already, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship services. We are all working toward taking our next step to move into deeper faith and community. So come, take your next step with us. We don't want you to settle for life as normal because you were made to live deeply. Let's now give our attention to God's word. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48 can be found on page 810 in the Bibles we provide. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sunrise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it presents to us this morning. Father, this is a hard teaching. So Lord, we need your help. We need your spirit to empower us to understand it, but more importantly, to live it out. So pray, Father, even now that you would be here among us, that where we gather in your name, that you are here and at work, that we would hear what we need to hear, that we might live the way you've called us to live, Father. So we pray that you'd open our ears and our hearts and our minds even now, because I have nothing worth saying, and you alone have the words of eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we are continuing our study in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever given um, that Jesus gave. And as we've looked at this over and over again, we see how much Jesus speaks into the culture of the day, really kind of turning it upside down. You see him over and over again. You've heard it said, but I say to you. And today might be one of the more challenging moments of that for that culture and for our culture. And it's one of the more familiar passages. If you talk to Christians and non-Christians alike, they know that the Bible says some things. They'll know that the Bible says, do not judge. They'll know the Bible says, John 3, 16. And many of them will know that the Bible says to love our enemies. They'll say things like, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, give them the shirt off your back. All of these that came from the Bible. So it's very familiar, but it is a very challenging thing for us today. Because what Jesus is doing is turning it all upside down, even the way that we look at ourselves, the way that we look at life, making us think deeply. And he's going to give us a very intense call and a deep call to something different, to something more, to something new. And that's going to be very complicated for us. So my hope and prayer for all of us is that we hear this, that we are challenged enough by God's word, we're encouraged enough by his grace and mercy, that we're people who don't just hear God's word, but we're going to walk out the door and be different people for it. That's my hope for us today. And when he gives us this call, he's going to do three things for us today, this really hard call. It's going to be to give or give up, to love 
and then to be perfect. All those individually seem pretty complicated. You put them all together, it's really something. The idea is to give, to give up, to love, to be perfect. So first, this idea of giving up, that we at this time, we are a people who love to talk about our rights. We love to be the people who know what we believe. We love to be the fact that we're citizens, and because we're citizens, we are afforded certain things to us that we have as inalienable rights, and no one can take away from us. And what Jesus is going to say right off the bat, the first thing that we're called to give up is our rights. Remember what he said. He said, what you have heard it said is, yeah, you've heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil to you. From Leviticus 24, if anyone injures his neighbor as he has done to him, shall it be done. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury is given, a person shall be given to him. This is God's word. This was the law. But why Jesus is trying to add to it, helping them understand it to more unpack it for them is it was being misused by the religious leaders of the day. When this was given to God's people, and we find this also in the Code of Hammurabi, it's called the Lex Talionis, this eye for an eye idea, when it was given to them, it was to be done by the state, that's the word we would use for it, be used by the, the establishment, to be used by the religious leaders and the leaders of the day. But the religious leaders have now made it about an individual moment for vengeance. So if this happens to you, you are allowed to do this back. And even today, we hear this verse, we think the same thing. We think, well, if someone does something to me, then I can give them back exactly. I can punish them in the same way. I can restore what was lost to me exactly. When the truth is, this was not meant for vengeance at all. The verse we read in the Old Testament passage for today talks about the fact that their vengeance belongs to the Lord. It is not for us at all. We don't have the right to retaliate anymore. That's not who we are. We've given up these rights because we're God's people. But instead, what they've done is they've twisted it to tell people, this is what you're allowed to do now. Because of you know, who we say, because we say the law is, this is what you can do. So Jesus needed to change that and said, instead, I want you to give up your rights. Because when he says, do not resist the evil, and that's not just stand there and take whatever comes at you. By resisting, it means don't give back to them what you have received. There's this picture of fighting and wrestling. He says, don't resist. If an evil person does something to you, don't resist what they do. Be there, understand, take whatever happens, whatever comes. And he gives us three pretty clear pictures of what we're to give in that. The first is to give our cheek. Kind of a weird picture of this idea of that when we are hit on the cheek that we're supposed to turn the other cheek. Now he gives us very clear pictures. Now I thought for a second, it'd be really funny if I brought someone up here to show us what's gonna happen here. I don't think I would enjoy it, but I think a lot of other people would. But I got a picture instead. This is actually a sport around the world. If you did not know this, if you're really bored and like on ESPN, the Ocho someday and looking for something, you might be able to find like face slapping. They stand that far apart in a wooden box and they slap each other in the face till somebody quits. I think the dude on the left's gonna quit really soon. <laughs> but again, every word in God's word means something, okay? So he's slapping him. Like today, most people in biblical times are right-handed. So as he slaps him, what cheek is he slapping him on? The left cheek, right? Now, here's some things you have to understand about Jewish culture of this time. To be slapped was a huge insult. To be slapped backhanded was a double insult. So when Jesus tells us, if you get struck on the right cheek, understanding in the culture today, most people are right-handed, for a right-handed person to slap someone on their right cheek would require them to go under, over or behind. 
So the most logical explanation, which is typically the right one, is that this has been a backhanded slap. So what Jesus is saying to them, when you are insulted to the depths, if you're insulted the most you can be insulted, doubly insulted in a moment like that, your call is not then to slap back, to not go back and do. Your job is to stand firm where you are. In faith, in love, to trust, that might mean I get slapped again. That might mean something else might happen to me. That might mean I might be humiliated again. But our call is we give up our rights, we give up the right to retaliate. We give up the right to retaliate, to do anything different. Jesus tells us to be different people. We don't return injury for injury. Romans 12 helps us kind of unpack this. The idea that what do we do in that? That we return evil for good. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome evil, but overcome evil with goodness. Great quote by N.T. Wright. Hitting back keeps violence in circulation. Have you ever been in a moment like that where somebody does something and they retaliate? It always escalates. It always gets worse. It's this never-ending cycle of violence over and over again. And we as God's people are called in these moments to take it. Now, let me be clear. This is definitely a picture. There is a physical component, but it is a much deeper picture about shame and a much bigger picture about insult. If you are currently in a relationship where you are being abused physically, emotionally, mentally, you are not supposed to turn the other cheek. You are not supposed to stand your ground. You're not supposed to take any more. You're supposed to flee that situation today. This verse has been misused so many times by so many people and kept people in lives and cycles of abuse that are not okay. If that is you today, help, let us help you. Email us at caring at cspc.net. We have resources to help folks who are in those situations even today. But I need you to hear that. If that's who you are and you're taking this as, gosh, I've got to just stay in this very difficult relationship. No, you do not. No, you don't. But the idea is when we find ourselves in these moments of being humiliated, we're called to stay, called to take it, called to trust that God is the one who repays vengeance. So we give our cheek. Then we give our cloak. And the idea of this is everybody had lots of tunics, which is basically what we wear today, shirts, pants, dresses, all that kind of stuff. But you only had one cloak, which was your robe that you wore to keep you warm during day and also was your blanket at night. So I try to think, what's the clearest picture we've got of kind of a cloak today? So here you go. The Snuggie. If you remember the Snuggie, <laughs> that's, that's about as good of equivalent as you're going to get. Now, I don't know how many people wore this out and about when you went around. Maybe you did. I'm not judging. Whatever. It's they're comfy. You know, I had a Snuggie. I don't know what happened to it, but I had one. But the idea was it was a blanket and a robe at the same time. Now, here's what's kind of funny about this. In Jewish times, you were not allowed to take someone's cloak from them permanently. It was an inalienable right for them to have a cloak. Like the law forbid them to lose it. And even if they use it as a pledge towards a promise or something else, it had to be returned to them that night every day. They were not allowed to go without it. So when Jesus says, if you're being sued for your tunic, give them your cloak also. 
He says, you're now giving up the right to your possessions. You've given up the right to retaliate. Now give up the right to your possessions because everything you own is mine and I've given it to you and I give it to you to bless others. I've given it to you to help others, even those who might be suing you for your clothes. That we, if you trust me enough, giving up all that I have and all that I've given you, it's gonna be okay. That's the picture he's giving us, that we give our cheek and we give our cloak. But not only that, we give the extra mile. And the word for forced in here is um, a Greek word that comes from like a Persian root. And it was used to describe the Persian couriers of those days. When they took the king's decree, they were called this name. And what they would do is they would commandeer things along the way. If they were on a long journey and they got tired, they could make another person carry it for a certain amount of time. If their animal was tired, they could literally take someone else's animal, take it on themselves, say, I'm going to borrow this for a while. And so the Jewish people understood this because the Romans did the same thing. They would force people to carry luggage, carry supplies. If you think about it, even Simon the Cyrene having to carry Jesus' cross is a picture of this. The soldiers forcing them to do something against their will. They have no ability to say no to this. They're forced to do it. And what Jesus says you have no right to your time. It may say you have to go a mile, but don't focus on what you have to do. Focus on what you can do. If you can do more, do more. If you can care more, care more. If you can love more, love more. If you can help more, help more. It says just because you only have to go a mile, don't see that as when I'm done with my mile, I now have the freedom to do what I want. When I'm done with my mile, I realize I've got the freedom and the right and the privilege to serve someone else more. I am free to love and serve more. Don't just do what you have to do. Do what you can do. And in all of this, all of these things are rights. All of these things are hard to give up. We love our possessions. We love our time. And we love to retaliate. We love to get justice. We love for things to be made right. It is such a part of our hearts. C.S. Lewis used the fact that we have such a justice part of our heart that that's how he justifies the fact that there's a moral law in the existence of God because all of us are wired that way. How do we give those up as Jesus calls us to? Do we trust God enough? <laughs> all this is injustice, but do we trust God enough to suffer injustice for his sake? Because he's not just flippantly making up things. He is saying this, as my people, this is what I'm calling you to be, to give up these rights. So the first to give up, seconds to love. You've heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Back to Leviticus 19. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your one people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. He's quoting the religious leaders. This is what you hear them telling you to do all the time. You notice a couple things. One, they leave out a really important phrase. Love your neighbor as yourself. That changes everything. <laughs> If I love my neighbor the way that I take care of myself, take care of my body, take care of my life, take care of my family, that's a different level of love than, well, I love them, I mean, I guess, in some flippant way. The religious leaders didn't include that phrase. They left that out on purpose. And then they added, hate your enemy. You will not find that in the Bible anywhere. 
You know what the Old Testament actually talks about? Loving your enemy. We read it a little bit in Romans, but even in the Old Testament, Proverbs talks about if you find your enemy hungry, give him something to eat. If you find him thirsty, give him something to drink. Exodus 24 says, if you find your enemy's livestock wandering off, you go chase it down and return it to them. Not your neighbor, not your friend, not your family, your enemy. It was clear even in the Old Testament, this understanding that we are called to love our enemies. Not ignore them, not tolerate them, not kind of struggle through with them, not just do what I have to do with them. Love them deeply. And the word he gives is that beautiful word agape, this very godlike, divine, unselfish love that is not dependent upon the recipient. No matter how they receive the love does not matter, you are still called to love in an unselfish, deep way. That's part of what they're talking about, the fact of caring for someone else. All these other things were to care for others more than ourselves. Talking about praying for those who are persecuting you. There is nothing closer to the character of God than praying for someone who persecutes you. And what's so interesting is this, if you commit to praying for your enemy daily, fully, I will guarantee you, eventually, you'll realize they are no longer your enemy. Our prayers for others change our own hearts towards people. We're called to pray for them. We're also called to love them with this deep, rich, agape, unselfish love. And the question that I've got for you is who is your enemy? Now, maybe I say that and you've got this kind of arch enemy that you've lived with your whole life, like you're a superhero or something that you know. Most people aren't like that, but it's maybe someone, it's a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor who, you know, has all kinds of rules about their yard or is not taking care of their yard at all, and it's kind of a problem. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe you're sitting next to them, not saying anything. Maybe it's someone at school that you feel in competition with, that you all do the same activities and things, and you just, maybe the best way to understand it is this. Who do you secretly root against? Maybe not so secretly. Who are you, do you find great joy when they struggle and when things are bad or hard for them? And who do you find yourself really frustrated when things go well for them? Who are the people that you would not want to spend an hour with, much less a day with? And who are the people that you, if Jesus said you need to go take care of them, you would really want to say no deeply. That's your enemy. God calls you to love them. As I was thinking through this, you know, yesterday and last night. One of the greatest things about being um, a pastor and being on staff at the church is called accountability. I live my life in a fishbowl. Um, the greatest thing is no matter where I go, there is someone from Cedar Springs there, everywhere. I go to Firehouse Subs and someone, oh, hey, I go to Cedar Springs. Oh, that's great. I guess I'm recognizable. There's a lot more of you than me, but it is like the best accountability. There is literally, I can't get in trouble anywhere because there's someone of you is there to see it. So last night I was at a football game somewhere on campus. <clears throat> and I, I created accountability for myself. I have Landon Paul on one side. I've got my son Zachary on the other side. And I know I'm going to preach on this. Lane Kiffin walks in. And for those that don't understand, the con Lane Kiffin used to be our football coach for one year. There's a lot of ill will. We'll just say there's a lot of ill will there for a lot of people. And he was not welcomed nicely, maybe is a better way to say so he comes out on the field, and I have a moment to think, what am I going to do? 
There's what my heart wants to do. There's what Jesus wants me to do. And those are always in battle. And I will say this. I was very proud of myself. I prayed for him because I was supposed to pray for those that persecute me or pray for our enemies. Now, it was not very heartfelt. It was not very long. And I don't know if Jesus really heard it, but I did it. (laughs) Checked it off the list. That happened. It's so clear how much emotion gets stirred up by the people that we hate. And if you were at the game, saw the end of the game, or have done anything at all on any social media or any anything, it was a terrible display by the Tennessee fans last night. With a minute to go in the game, there was a call that was somewhat controversial. I will not call it good or bad. I'll just call it controversial. And the fans' response was to start throwing things onto the field. Mustard bottles, beer cans, water bottles, golf balls. We're going to hear about that for the next week. All kinds of stuff gets thrown on. And here's the problem. That's what we do. When we're angry, when we hate someone else, when we lash out, when we want to retaliate, we do it in the most inefficient way. And you know who got hurt the most? Tennessee fans, the Tennessee cheerleaders, the Tennessee band, and the Tennessee dance team, who all had to be evacuated because they continue to get hit by things. When we try to lash out in our anger, in our retaliation, in our hate, you know who we hurt the most? The people we love. The people closest to us. The people we never intended to be a part of it. They're the ones who get the brunt of that. I saw that so clearly on TV last night. It wasn't the Ole Miss player's fault. It wasn't the Ole Miss coach. It was no one's fault. But when we don't get what we think we deserve, when we deserve it, how we deserve it, what do we do? We lash out. We want revenge. We want to retaliate. Jesus says, no, we're a people of love. You love that enemy. You love that person that you want to hate so desperately. So we give and give up, we love, then we have to be perfect. It seems weird that we go from love to being perfect in all this. But in this last idea, this being perfect, we need to kind of lose ourselves because we have to understand what this word means. There's this word in the Greek, it's teleos, because it seems unfair to us that he calls us to be perfect. We're sinful people. We can't be perfect. We're always gonna struggle with our sin. All that is true. So when he calls us to be perfect, what does he mean? This word is used of like the sacrifices put on the altar. It means completeness, lacking nothing, having attained in purpose. William Barclay says it beautifully. The Greek idea of perfection is functional. A thing is perfect if it fully realizes the purpose for which it was planned, designed, and made. We as a people are teleos when we do what we were designed and made for. This word is used when a person is full grown, they've grown as much as they can, they're teleos. When someone has mastered a subject, they're teleos. We as God's people, we are being called now that we, in this context, we're called to love, we're called not to retaliate, we're called not to have our rights. He's now saying, so now go do that. Don't just know cognitively this is what you're supposed to do. Go be perfect. Go live this out. Go attain this. Go live out the purpose for which you were created. For you and for me today, that's the call. Don't just know the right things to check off. Don't just think about a picture of a guy slapping somebody and a picture of a Snuggie and Lane Kiffin, and that's what you walk away with. I want you to walk away with God calls us to love 
our enemies. God calls us to give up our rights to care for other people. So let's go do it. And then the big question for all of us is why? Andrew, why should I do this? Because this is, God calls us to do something that no other God and no other religion calls us to do. Other religions tell us to be neutral. They don't tell us to go love our enemies. Jesus says, love your enemies. He tells us to do this for a couple reasons. One, because that's what God did. Look at God's example. We find it in this passage. He put the rain and he puts the sun on the righteous and the unrighteous, good and evil. He decides. This is not something he lets happen. It's something he is intentional with. He loves those he's created and he gives common grace to all of them. He takes care of them. When it rains on your yard, it also rains on your neighbor's yard who you really don't like at the same time. God shows that as an example and he reminds us in this very beautiful way When we sin against him, it's like a slap in the face. And how does he respond? He doesn't respond with retribution. He doesn't respond with revenge. He doesn't retaliate. Instead, he reconciled us by sending us the Redeemer. That's how God responded when we did all of this to him. And so then our witness is at stake. That's why I love this picture he gives to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. You wonder, why are we talking about Gentiles and why are we talking about tax collectors? Because at that time, the religious leaders and Pharisees found them on the lowest rung of the the totem pole. They were the least important people, and also, they were the least righteous people. They said, we are morally superior to them. And what Jesus says is, okay, so then why are you only doing what they do? This life that you're living, don't the Gentiles do that? Don't the tax collectors, these people who you think are worth nothing, do what you do? If we as Christians only do what the world does and only do what culture does, are we really the witness that we're called to be? How do we do that? Why do we do that? Because not only did God send the Redeemer, think about what Jesus did. Think about Jesus' life for a second. Because God says, and the word we read from Romans, while we were God's enemies, he sent Jesus. We think that when we're sinful, we think without Jesus that we're just neutral with God. Like, well, he doesn't really think much about me. No, no, no. What the Bible tells us, we're enemies of God. We were his enemies. He saw that and he sent Christ to us who died for us. And when he was mocked and insulted and shamed, he was silent. When he was beaten and when he was scourged, he did not retaliate. And when he was hung on the cross, dying an excruciating death, what does Jesus do? He prays for those who put him there. We do this because Jesus did that for you and for me. Jesus did that for you and for me. If you are in here today and you're wrestling with this, you were an enemy to God and God found a way to make you no longer his enemy, but now his child. And if you are a child of God, he has redeemed you. He has shown love and grace and mercy that we might go be like him, called to be his children, called to be God-like in the way that we live. How could Jesus endure giving up his rights, giving up his cloak, which he did, giving up his cheek, which he did? Because of his great love for us.
that we might go and do likewise. How did Jesus pray for those who persecuted him? How did he love the enemies that hated him, even the religious leaders? Because he loved them. He's a God of love and caring and grace. So how do we then go do it? We do it because the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. We have the same power to turn the other cheek. We have the same power to go the extra mile. We have the same power to give up our cloak. We have the same power to love our enemies, not because of anything in us, but because of the love and grace and mercy poured out on us by Jesus Christ and empowering us to go live for him. So as you go this week, who are the enemies you're called to love? What are the insults and slights that you need to just take? and not retaliate? Where are the ways you need to give up your time and your possessions for the good of other people? Why? Because Jesus gave up everything, even his life for us. That we might be with him in heaven someday, sure, but that we might go and live for him and be a witness for him to show others the goodness of his grace and make much of who he is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the reminder of who we're called to be as your people and as your children. Thank you for the example that Christ set for us who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing and took the form of a servant who died for us while we were still sinners, while we were your enemies. He willingly gave his life for us, suffered and died that we might be made whole and be made one, but also that we might be yours. And as yours, help us to be people who are teleos, who are living out the purpose for which you created and made us, that will be people who make much of you in word and in deed, that we will go and reflect you in how we treat others, especially those who persecute us, especially our enemies, especially those who are against us at every point, that we might be your children and we might bring glory to your name. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.